Esther is a book of God working behind the scenes. It's interesting how he has worked out this message on Father's Day to fall in line with the text in Esther. Not going to follow the regular pattern of preaching. Normally I will go straight through Esther chapter 2 today, but I want to do an emphasis on fathers and Mordecai as a father. It's interesting to use Mordecai as a father because I don't know whether or not he was a natural father or a physical father or not. The Bible doesn't mention him having a wife. The Bible never mentions any of his children at all. But what it mentions here is that as a cousin, he was an older cousin and he took Esther, his younger cousin, under his wing and he raised her as he he raised her as his own daughter. And so he became a father to her. The Bible tells us here in chapter 2, verse 7, that Esther's mother and father both died. And she was left without any parents. And we don't know how old she was then. We don't know what caused her parents to die. Uh, but we know that Mordecai took on that responsibility of raising her and he became her father. We see in her life what a individual, uh, as an adult, what a great individual she uh, uh, was raised to be. And so we know then that Mordecai had a, had a huge role in her upbringing. Let's take a look then. I call Mordecai the standby father. The standby father. He was not originally planning on being a father uh, to, to Esther, but as circumstances would have it, God had placed this responsibility on him. And so he freely or fully accepted that responsibility, and he was a good father. We see here in chapter 2, we're introduced in to Mordecai in verse 5. It says, Now there was a Jew in Susa the citadel whose name was Mordecai. It says in verse, set, verse 6, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, who Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. And this kind of gives us the setting of Mordecai's life. It gives us the setting of the book of Esther when this happened. But it tells us a little bit more about Mordecai. Verse 7, he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle. For she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So we see him being a standby type father. Um, he reminds us of Joseph in the New Testament, the husband of Mary who took on the responsibility of raising Jesus himself. God had chosen Joseph for that task. He was not the natural father, but he, God had given that responsibility into uh, his hand. God had appointed him to be that man to have the uh, uh, godly influence and the human example to Jesus. Joseph was, and so Mordecai was chosen that. For Esther. It's interesting, I want you to think about this, how God places that responsibility 
in human hands. God places the responsibility to train, to raise, to be the model, to be an example for individuals. He places that in human hands, even with his own son. You ask the question, who was responsible for, for, for raising Jesus? Who was responsible for being there to be the example for Jesus himself? It was Joseph. God didn't have an angel come down from heaven to teach Jesus. Um, he, he didn't have any special circumstances other than appointing Joseph to be the one to teach, to train, to, 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 to take Jesus and to raise him. And so Mordecai as well was the one who God had chosen. Now this is an important truth. Because God uses human beings to accomplish his purpose, and he often gives them great responsibilities to do that. And sometimes those responsibilities seem to overwhelm us. I ask the question, why would God lay such a heavy burden or responsibility on Joseph? Why does he have human beings raise human beings? Because he wants us to depend on him, and he wants us to in obedience to him, lead others. The same is true in the, spiritual, uh, in the spiritual arena. God uses human beings to speak the truth to human beings, to speak the gospel to them so that they come and believe. And he places them, little baby Christians, if you will, under the tutelage of human beings so that they might grow and develop and be what God would have them to be. God told Timothy that he was to train men so that they could also train men or train others. So he was to take men and train them so that they could become leaders and train others as well. That is the process that God uses. Each one of us have had someone in our lives that influences us, that, teach, uh, that taught us, that is a model for us, and that is one that God used to bring us where we are today. That individual wasn't perfect. That individual was a human being just like us, had flaws, had some positive aspects in their life, and they model for us what God wanted us to see and help us grow. Spiritually, that is true as well. God is looking for standby fathers. Circumstances of life often come in where that natural father is not there to raise that child for whatever reason. In Esther's situation, it was because of the death of both of her parents. We don't know what the cause of that was. But Mordecai was called in to step up to step up to the task. And we need that in the physical uh, uh, aspect of being fathers as well. Some are our grandparents, some are cousins or uncles, or sometimes just a, a, a friend who steps up to be that father, that role model for that individual. Every child here 
needs that, and, and, and God provides for that in one way or another. Even when mother and father uh, uh, are not there physically, David said, you know, the Lord will raise me up. If mother and father forsake me, and they may not be forsaking him because they've abandoned him, but just the uh, circumstances of life, like in Esther's situation, they may not be able to be there for them. God expects us, he expects other individuals to step in and take on that responsibility. Mordecai should be honored for being willing to do that. Several here, several of you here are doing that same thing in one aspect or another, and, and you're to be applauded for stepping up. That, that, that's a task that's very much needed, whether you're a grandparent, whether you're an adoptive parent, or whether you're a standby parent in the church just being there for, for whoever kids are around. God wants to use you to have an impact in the life of that child. You know, liberals have coined a phrase which is true, but they use it in a wrong way. It takes a village to raise a child. Uh, yes, it takes a community to do that, and it takes a community who's in tune with uh, responsibilities that God has placed on parents to raise those children. If you're a parent today, whether you're mother or father, would you recognize that God wants you to place your children in a community that will help strengthen that. That community really is the church. That will help teach them, strengthen them, and help them develop into the men and women that God wants them to be. Utilize those individuals. Praise God for the Mordecais around who are available to teach and, and, and to instruct in this way. And so Mordecai uh, uh, was there. God had appointed, he, he, and he still appoints today, human beings. In the physical realm, that's necessary. In the spiritual realm, would you consider with me just for a moment how important it is for each of us to stretch ourselves and be that Mordecai spiritually for others around us? Would you consider that God wants to use you, whether you're a man or a woman today, to be the spiritual Mordecai to those who God has placed in our charge? In our leadership meeting, we talk about the impact of our ministry, and we talk about how God has placed us uniquely, joined us with, uh, um, with with missions like, like Milwaukee Rescue Mission. And just yesterday I had a chance to, to preach there and joined by several, uh, several from here to go along on that, uh, on that uh, third Saturday and just to, to minister to men at the Milwaukee Rescue Mission. And God gives us that opportunity. But you know what limits us? The same thing that limits us on Saturday morning when we go out for evangelism. We pray this prayer, Lord, the harvest what? It's plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. God is saying it's hard to find good workers. It's hard to find good workers. Would you be one? Would you be one? Would you be willing then to labor as a spiritual mother or father? What limits us, the only thing that limits us is those who are willing to stretch themselves and labor 
and be that spiritual Mordecai to others. This church must grow. But it will only grow when each of us grows. And when each of us realize we don't have to wait for somebody else. Some say, well, Pastor, I don't, I don't feel equipped to be a spiritual parent. Are you trying? Are you equipping yourself? I praise God. When we go out on, on, on Saturday, we have a small, mighty team that goes out on Saturday. And, and as we really haven't had any, like, formal training. God has taught us. We learn by, by partnering together and watch each other and how we interact and, and go out. And we talk about different ways and methods and what's effective and so forth. But you want to talk about a mighty team. Yesterday, God placed us on the corner of 27th and Fond du Lac. You know where that is? You ever drove by there? Raise your hand if you kind of know what I'm talking about. 27th and Fond du Lac. Busy in the intersection. It's in the section of three main streets, 27th Street, Center, and Fond du Lac. And you can stand for two minutes and, and have people walking all around. On a day like yesterday, it was people all around. I saw a woman who came out from the library. She was visibly upset. She was screaming at someone, cursing at the top of her lungs. Someone had done something. I don't know what, I, you know, she, she was half out of her mind. So it was hard to figure out exactly what was going on. But as she turned this corner and screaming at this man, she walked into our trap. <laughs> the trap hap happened to be Brian and Janice that were there on that particular walkway. And she walked by. And they, they didn't see her like I saw her. I saw the whole thing happen. And she went and turned. And I was standing in this direction. She went and turned that direction. So she came towards them. And so uh, as a team, they extended to her a track and began to talk to her. And I'm looking like, what's going to happen? I wonder what's going to happen. What I saw is her whole face changed. Now, I'm a distance, so I can't hear all the conversation but I saw in her body language, she went from hostile and angry to receptive and listening. And I saw Janet put her hand on her and began to pray for her and pray with her. And I saw her whole nature just kind of melt. And I saw them set, stand there for, it had to be 15 minutes talking with her and sharing with her and giving the gospel to her. It was amazing to see that kind of a transformation and her receptive to what was said. And, and, and uh, I guess the end of the story isn't written yet because uh, I hope we haven't seen the last of her. I don't know what's going to happen. But what I saw is two individuals who took time out of their life to be used by God, didn't know who they would encounter. And if they had known exactly what their situation, I don't know if they would have been prepared any better to do anything more than what they did is simply share in a human way, be there, listen, and share, and as a result, give the gospel to her. What a blessing. 
Would you give yourself to be used of God? He'll show you what to do and what to say. Give yourself to be one who was like Mordecai, who says, basically says in his life, this is the situation that we're in. My younger cousin doesn't have mom and dad. Come be with me and let me, with God's help, raise you. Now, we see the end of the story with Esther. A couple things I want to note in chapter 2, verse 7. We, saw, we see that somehow, well, we see the indirect teaching of Mordecai because we're not told day by day went, what went on. But here's what we gleam from what we see, is that Mordecai was able to teach her, along with her physical beauty, a character that helped her live for life. In, in, in chapter 2, verse 7, it says this. <clears throat> he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. Now, it mentions this. It's an interesting statement. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. You might even ask, why is that even in the Bible? <laughs> well, it's key in Esther because she... Is, is, is God has placed her there for a reason, and her physical beauty is something God has given her. You talk to young women today in the, in the church, and they say, you know, God wants you to have godly character, and they, they somehow hear that, that the pastor wants them to dress like a 60-year-old woman. That's not true. You're going to look the way you look. What's more important than your fashion, within your fashion sense, is your inner character. Because your inner character would teach you how to take that fashion sense. I can't tell you what to wear and how to wear it because I'm not, I'm not a woman. But the thing that I think Mordecai communicated to her in some way was the, the inner character that was necessary for her for life. She was a beautiful woman, says lovely figure and beautiful to look at. It must have been obvious. Everybody must have noticed it. And as the, the story goes on, we see that, you know, that how, how the old, old uh, uh, story goes, she's the fairest of them all. She, she was a beautiful woman, but what she had with that in verse 7, it says, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. There's a couple other verses that bring out this character that she had to go along with this beauty. Verse 10 says this, Esther had not made known her people or kindred, but Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. That's a simple verse. What you see is Mordecai commanded. Mordecai had taught her, and she had listened. She didn't sit in his house saying, you ain't my mama. You ain't my daddy. Don't tell me what to do. What she did somehow is she listened, and Mordecai taught in a way that she was receptive. So the thing that he shared with her, she obeyed. Now, why was it important? We'll see as we go along in this story. But he said, hey, be discreet about letting people know who you are and where you're from. Hold off on that a little bit till we see 
what they want to do with this. He's basically teaching her how to develop, how to interact with people. That came from her standby dad. Be discreet. Be careful. Don't just tell everybody everything about you right away. But you have a purpose. Now, Mordecai doesn't know all of what Esther's purpose is yet. Esther doesn't know. But God is working behind the scene. Can you hear the narrator in their life saying, even though she doesn't know, God is going to use her beauty and her character in an amazing way. Both of them are used by God in her life. Can you see how Esther develops? Her beauty was used by God, and her godly character along with that beauty, made her the unique individual that God put in. He set her in the place, in the setting, in the time that he had for her. Who did he use to develop that character that went along with that beauty? He used Mordecai. He used a godly man. He used a man that was willing to give up himself to develop this young beautiful woman. The physical beauty is something that was natural, that came from God. But along with that, she needed a character or how to carry herself, how to live, how to interact with individuals that she got in her childhood from her standby father. Mordecai. Now we see another example. We saw that in verse 10 that she listened to Mordecai. She obeyed Mordecai. He commanded her to do something or not do something and she actually went along with that. Skip down now to verse 20 of the same chapter. It says, Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. So now we see Esther as a young lady. She's developed. She's no longer under Mordecai's care in his home. She's out on her own now. But she's developed such a character and she's developed, Mordecai has developed such a relationship with her that the things that he has instilled in her are there. Fathers, here's hope. The things that you're trying to teach your children, if you're faithful, we'll talk about this, if you're faithful in modeling them and being an example, they will be with them for life. It says she still, she had such a respect for Mordecai that she still obeyed him, even though she's an adult, she still respected his opinion and his wisdom and she listened to him now it doesn't mean that she just did everything he said like a child but what it means is she has such a respect for him and for his wisdom and for his love that she lived in that way she was an obedient person even though even though she was no longer a child For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. That's an amazing thing. What it says also to fathers is that our children develop. 
And our parenting and our interaction with them needs to develop as well. I've seen some fathers who, bring, who believe in, in the sergeant-type tactic of raising their children. And, and I don't have a problem with strong discipline. I'm also a strong disciplinarian myself. But you need to adjust as that child goes older so that you develop them in right and proper ways. We're going to see another part of that adjustment that goes on in this story and Mordecai developing as a father. But before we get to that, I want, to see some, I want you to see something that's very important that Mordecai models. In verse 11 of chapter 2, verse 10 says this, Esther had, made it known, had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. All right, here's a point for us as fathers and as men. What is this saying? Be diligent and follow up. Be diligent and follow up. Since every day he was checking things out to see what was going on with Esther. Now, he couldn't, he couldn't be everywhere she was. She was called aside to be trained. She was basically in queen training, right? And, and, and he couldn't be there with her, but he would... Come alongside to find out what's going on. Fathers, you can do that with your children. You need to be doing that with them. You need to be hands-on as much as possible where you can. In their school, you need to be involved. I found out as a child that um, I tended to pay attention to what my parents paid attention to. You know what I mean? If parents weren't watching, weren't interested, then, you know, I could act a certain way. But in my case... My parents were always watching. They was always interested. I, I went to a school where my older brothers and sisters went before me, and I would get in a class of a teacher I didn't know, and she says, oh, you're a Kenner. I'm like, oh, man. Oh, you're a Kenner. I know you. She says, you don't know me. Oh, I know your mom and your dad. I remember my, my parents would be, we went to a school where, It'd be 30 kids in the school, and on parent-teachers' conference, it'd be like maybe two parents that will come to the parent-teachers' conference. And guess who will come to every parent-teacher conference that I had? Both mom and dad. The next day, the teacher would be saying, oh, I'll talk to your dad. Like, oh, man. I'll talk to your mom. I, rem- I met them when I had your brother Rodney. Like, oh, man. I'll never get out of this. They're following me everywhere I go. I can't act a fool. I can't do what I want to do. <laughs> it was strange that one day I was doing just what I'm doing right now. I'm preaching the word of God and walks into sweet communion. I didn't know who she was, but it was one of my old teachers. And she came to me after service. She says, you don't remember me, do you? She was actually like a substitute teacher. She says, I know you. I remember me. And I'm looking at her like, what? He says, Roosevelt Junior High School. I remember when you went there. Grade 8. You were in such and such a class. I'm like, really? And then I went, to, well, was I good? <laughs> what I wanted to know is, were you able to listen to my sermon? <laughs> or were you thinking, oh, my goodness? <laughs> it follows you. Your character follows you. Mordecai had become involved. And he teaches us as a father a hands-on type experience. Don't just throw your kids at stuff. 
We like to throw them to summer camp. We like to throw them over here and throw them over there. We like to keep them busy, especially in the summer. Just have them hopping place to place. Be there with them. Learn their nature, their character. Learn what it is about them that you as a parent need to, you ought to know them better than anybody else. Now, some people may tell you some things that you need to listen to. You may even be surprised, but you ought to know your children so that you can help them in their development. A person who's trying to grow plants and shrubs and flowers need to know what signs to look for in those shrubs and flowers. You see the leaf turning bright green or, or fading in some kind of way before it gets into trouble. You say, wait a minute. Maybe they're having some insect problems, or, or maybe they're not getting enough fertilizer, or maybe they're in the sun when they should be in the shade. Maybe they're in the shade when they should be in the sun. Maybe they need a little less water. Maybe they need a little more water. You need to learn those plants. Children are like little trees. Learn them. The only way you're going to learn them is by observing, by being with them. Sneak around a little bit. And one of the interesting things I came up to, to uh, high school with, with my, my children in high school. And uh, I came up right before class got out and I was able to kind of see the class as it was going on and as they were being dismissed from class and I could see their interaction with the different students and, and those kind of things. That's, that's interesting to do. It gives you a, a, just a visual, another way of seeing what do you need? What should you be praying for for your children? How can you help them develop the way God wants them to develop. We need godly Mordecai's. Mordecai didn't know that Esther would one day be queen, but I believe he trained and taught and disciplined and brought her up in such a way that he knew she'd be ready if God called her for that. He walked, he listened, he observed to what was going on, and he checked out things. I want you to see another thing in chapter 2. <clears throat> kind of changes the subject when you get to verse 21. Or verse, yeah, verse tw 19, it actually starts. But we read 19 and 20. Look at verse 21. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, guess that was his job. It doesn't tell us specifically what he was doing, but I think he was involved somehow in government in a low position. And he was just faithful at his job. He said he was just there. So it's like saying he was at work on time. Dads, you teach your children right now what you do. They don't know what you do on a job, but they ought to know that you get up every day and do a job. And that you do it on time. They're learning what your attitude towards work is. One of the things my son, they, they teased me about is I had all these goofy songs I used to sing while I was working around the house. Chantel's laughing now because she knows what they are. Um, but I would do work and I'd make up a song. One of my songs was I Got Work to Do. And I would sing that song. I got work to do. I, I, I. It was one of those kind of songs. I'll just have fun with it. 
and I'll be raking the grass or cutting some wood and doing whatever. But the idea there was work is not the worst thing to have to do. Have some fun doing it and show that joy to your children. Now, they don't think it was joy doing all the stuff I was doing. They'd rather be playing video games or whatever. But they thought dad was crazy for having fun doing work. They know one thing about dad, that I'm on time. I believe in being on time. I want to do things, and I want to be faithful at doing it. Those are some of the things that I think we teach our kids without even knowing it. When you come home from work, what do they see from you? How do they interact with you? And what kind of uh, attitude do you display to them about what it is you do? So Mordecai was just sitting at the king's gate as he normally does. And I can imagine Esther saying, yeah, there's my dad doing what he always does. There's a visual. There's being registered with her, but not only with her. Let's go on and see what he is, what it is that he does. It says here, um, he was sitting at the king's gate, the middle of verse 21. Big Finn and Teresh, now that, that, them names, that, that, that tell you something about them dudes. I imagine Big Finn probably had some teeth missing and a scar across his face, you know. He probably had a couple two tattoos on his arm. This is a bad dude. And Teresh, that was probably his cousin, I don't know. Two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, bodyguards, right? These are some tough, mean dudes. It seemed like that to me. But look what they did. It says, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. I like the way the Bible put it. They want to lay hands on you. They want to kill him. They work for the king, but they want to kill him. Now, they had some kind of plot going on where they was going to carry this out. And they were stupid enough to talk about it out loud. It says, verse 22, and this came to the knowledge of Mordecai. (laughs) Mordecai was faithfully doing his job, and he got wind of this. He heard about this plot that these two thugs were trying to carry out. And guess what? You think he just like, oh, man, I don't say nothing. Them, them some mean dudes. Them some bad dudes. I, I, I don't want to be no, uh, what you call them, snitch. Snitches get stitches, right? It shows Mordecai's courage and his character. Now, he didn't have to go and confront them straight up. Probably wouldn't have been smart to do, but he still was courageous. and He had character that he didn't just let it go in one ear. I'm going to act like I didn't hear that. That's their business. If they want to kill the king, you know, so be it. I'm minding my own business. I'm doing my job. I don't hear nothing. I don't see nothing. I'm just doing. That was not Mordecai. He said, that ain't right. What what do you say? What? And he told it to somebody. Who did he tell it to? This came to the knowledge of Mordecai. He told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. 
king didn't play with that. And neither should he. These are unfaithful workers. But then you have a faithful worker in Mordecai. And that's the example that he's setting. He's a faithful worker. You might, you might wonder, what, what's the spiritual thing about all of this? Is look, you can't really teach a spiritual truth until you live a spiritual truth. As fathers, we do too much talking and not enough living. We need to be living examples. The best way to teach our children is to live in front of them. They get that. They see that. It registers with them. We need to lead by example. Mordecai doesn't think that he's teaching his child. She's not a child anymore. She's a grown adult. She's queen now. He doesn't think he's teaching her anything. He's just being himself. And that's what we ought to do as fathers. We ought to live out a godly character and let that do the teaching for us. Now, that's not to say that we don't have any specific teaching that we apply when the time is needed, but the greatest amount of our teaching has to be by example. Do we get that? Men say amen to that. I want to know that you're hearing me. I want to know that you're awake. Your greatest teaching time comes as a model and example. The same thing is true from here. You, you think I get to preach every Sunday, and so that's the thing to do. But I have learned over the years, more has been learned from my life experiences and how I've handled it or not handled it than my actual preaching. Doesn't mean preaching is important. Preaching lays out the truth. Living shows how it's done. You're going to be an example in your own life. The, the, the thing is, we need to do them both. We need to preach and we need to live. We can't just rely on one or the other. But what I'm saying to you is that preaching without living, teaching without being a model is absolutely useless. And in fact, it's even worse than that. It works against. It goes against all teaching. You say, Daddy, I thought we were supposed to do this first before we did that. Oh, son, that's just what I said. We need to live out those examples, and that's what's learned from the most. And so this is, re we, this is given to us in chapter 2, and it's just a tidbit to be tucked away because it's going to become very important as the story goes on. That Mordecai was a faithful worker, a man of character, and he lived out in his everyday life. It didn't seem like this day was any special, any different than any other one, except that he just lived out what he normally does. He goes to work all the time. He, he works at the king's gate, and this has just happened to, to be what he does. It is what he is. Later on in the book, we're going to see that the king can't sleep. I think it's chapter 6. He can't sleep, and he, he, he rehearses some of the history that's going on, and he finds this little nugget about Mordecai, and he brings it up, and it has a huge impact then. But at the time that Mordecai is doing it, he's just, that's just, that's just what he does. That's how he is. Are you on time for church? That's what your kids are learning, that church is important. Are, do you do what you say? It, the kids are learning that your, your word means something, and from that, you can expand that. They're learning that God's word means something. 
because of your godly character. God wants us to lead by example. Mordecai was one who did that. A couple other things I want to touch on. Um, Mordecai was a man of worship and submission. As the story goes, we skip to chapter 4, and we know that the the enemy of the Jews had this plot to destroy all the Jews. He hated Mordecai, but when he, 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 Haman wanted to destroy not just Mordecai, but every single Jew that existed. Not just in the capital of, of, the, uh, 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 of, of, of Persia, uh, in, in Susa, the capital, but throughout the whole 127 provinces. He wanted to kill every single Jew. Man, woman, boy and girl, young and old, he wanted to kill them all. And when he makes this edict to do this, in chapter 4, we see Mordecai's response. Verse 1, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. We said that in Esther is something unique. The name of the Lord is never mentioned there. And we never see... um, explicit expressions of praise, prayer, or worship. But what we see is implied. When Mordecai puts on sackcloth and ashes, those are mourners' clothes. It's a visible way to say that this suit means nothing to me and I don't, I feel terrible about what's happening. I don't want to look good today. I'm putting on my clothes of depression. (laughs) I'm putting on clothes of sadness. Clothes of, I'm extremely troubled. It's like seeing somebody who always has their hair together and their face together and their clothes together, and now they're in absolute rags. Hair is, is just all messed up. No makeup, no face, no dressing, no nothing. Clothes is just a mess. And you go, what's wrong? That's how Mordecai was. This was an outward expression of grief and trouble. Often what went with this is a prayer, a cry. It says he cried with a loud voice. What it doesn't say is who he cried to. It's implied that this is a man who will cry out to God, and he did it publicly because he's saying, oh my goodness, God, we need your help. There is a man who just issued an edict by the king to kill all of us on the 13th of the 12th month, the 13th day of the 12th month, and it's coming up pretty soon. This is what he does. Here's a man of worship and a man of submission. He submits himself under the Lord. He says, Lord, we got nowhere. I can't go to the king. He's the one who wrote this decree. Where can I go to, Lord, but you? In your times of extreme, of testing, when it's really bad, how do you respond? How do you react? This shows what's really in you. In times of despair, how do you respond? Mordecai responds with extreme grief and submission, implied submission to the Lord. It's so amazing that Esther is like, what happened? What's wrong? She sends him some regular clothes to wear and says, you know, 
It ain't right for you to be out in public looking like that. Get dressed. And he says, I'm not putting them on. And then she said, what's going on? She doesn't even know what's happened. And Mordecai begins to tell her what's going on. So we see him leading there by submission. Then in verse 13 and 14, we see him leading by faith. He sends a message to Esther saying what had happened, that, that Haman, the evil enemy of the Jew, has, has got the king to issue this edict, and she needs to do something about it. And she sends a message back to him saying, there's nothing I can do because if I walk into the king's court without being uh, uh, invited, there's one law that says unless the king invited you and extends to you the royal scepter, you gone. You get put to death. She says, I'm, I'm in trouble for my life. And this is what he says. And Brian brought this out in Sunday school. Um, I'm glad he did. But look in, in verse 13 and 14. Esther chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in a king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will, re will rise from the Jews, for the Jews, from another place. That's the key phrase. See, if you keep silent, relief is going to arise from another place. He's saying, look, in the middle of, the, of, of my greatest drama, I'm trusting that God is going to bring deliverance from somewhere. This is a man of faith. This is a man of faith. This is a man who puts his trust wholeheartedly in God in, 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 his, in the middle of his crisis. He's saying, Esther, I'm coming to you because you're the only connection I got. And I hope you can do something. But I tell you what, if you don't do something, God's going to do something else. God's going to do it from somewhere else. He, in other words, I trust God to be my deliverer in my time of need. A father needs this aspect. He needs this character about himself that no matter what situation he encounters, he trusts God. Oftentimes our children think as dad that you are just, you can handle any situation and anything that comes at you, you're ready for. But in reality, you're just a human being. But what they gather as they grow older, they realize, you know, when, when, when children are young, they're six, seven, and eight, they think you're Superman. When they get to be 13, 14, and 15, they think you're nothing. They won't have nothing to do with you. When they get to 18, they don't even know who you are. They're gone. Somewhere, depending on maturity, when they get older, they start to see you as a person with flaws, but a human being. They begin to see that they thought you were invincible, but what, what's really invincible is that you have faith and trust in God. And that's what's being exposed about Mordecai now. Esther isn't coming in saying, Daddy, I thought you could help me, and I'm disappointed that you can't. No, she's saying, I see a dad in crisis that turns to God, that turns to God. He's not looking for somebody else to bail him out. His trust is in the Lord. That's what Mordecai is doing, and that's what he's showing himself to be. I want to go on to one more thing before we close today. One more trait about Mordecai. 
It's in this same chapter, chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. So Esther now is going to put herself in harm's way, and she asks for Mordecai to help. And this is what she tells them to do. Verse 16, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Now, again, it doesn't say prayer, but this, we know what comes with a fast. In other words, the same reliance that Mordecai had, began, had lived by when he was father to Esther, Esther now takes on in her moment of crisis. She's, in essence, saying, pray for me. Pray for me. Well, let's go on. Verse 16. Um, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my young woman will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. But the key verse I want to focus on is the next. Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Something begins to change. As a godly man, Mordecai has trained his daughter, Esther, and now she's an adult. And guess what? There is a mutual respect that has developed. To now Esther has ordered Mordecai to do something. It explicitly tells us here. It says Mordecai that went away, did everything as Esther had ordered him. Mordecai did everything that Esther ordered him. When you raise children right... And God puts them in that place. There's a mutual respect because of their character now that you respect that Mordecai now becomes obedient and subservient to even Esther. That's an amazing thing. See, the problem is, is that parents do that too quickly. <laughs> what we see is 9 and 10-year-olds bossing parents around and parents doing what 9 and 10-year-olds tell them what to do. Asking them what they want and how things should be and going marching by their orders. But no, when you raise them right and now they become adults, you see that they have the character, they have the integrity, and now the respect is mutual to where God has placed them in a position and you see that and you submit to that. What you're saying is I submit to God working in this one's life. I thank God that they are taking over the responsibilities that God has given them to do. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. We see Esther stepping up in her role and Mordecai saying, you go, girl. I see you. That's what I trained you for. And I fully support you and I'll be 100% behind you in all that you can count on me praying for you. You can count on me delivering. Whatever, whatever you say you want me to do, I'm ready there to do it. Godly character has been modeled and now it's being lived out. Our role changes as the children become adults. It changes physically. For us as physical parents, it changes for us as spiritual parents as well. We want to see these, these godly Adults take on the responsibility that God has given them to do. We want to support them in all that God has laid on them to do. That role is different now. No longer the, 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 the father over the 9-year-old, the 10-year-old. It's two adults 
recognizing, working together, and submitting both to each other and submitting to God in, in the direction and in the, in the will and, and the thing that God has set for their life. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the godly example. We pray, Lord, that we would be called to this commitment as fathers, as commitment to see from you the importance of our task. So we pray now those men would openly submit to you saying, Father, show me my role and my task and how important it is. Then we pray, Lord, that men today will commit to this, commit to leading by example and commit to leading by submission, by walking in obedience to you. As we close this time of prayer, our eyes are closed, our heads are still bowed, we're still in the moment of prayer. I want to ask you men who are fathers, would you be willing to do this, to lead by example? In other words, say to yourself, I will not command without myself doing. I will lead by example. I will not command my children to do something without doing what I should do or be an example of that. I won't send them to church. I will bring them to church. I will not tell them to do something that I myself will not model before them. Secondly, I will lead by submission. I will not command them to do something without myself submitting to the Lord to do that very thing. I will show them in my relationship with God how they are to respond to me. And I won't command them to do something that I'm not doing with the Lord already. Men, fathers, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, will you commit to that? Raise your hand. Will you commit to that? Raise your hand. Will you commit to that? Maybe you're not a father yet. Will you commit in preparation right now? Will you commit to that? Raise your hand. Will you commit to that? Thank you. Fathers, we want to support and help and encourage you. Dear Father, we thank you for your help, your support. We pray, Lord, that you would bind us together as a group of believers, men and women, to be the parents that you would have us to be, to work together to raise our children, to work together to be the standby moms and dads that you've called us to be, be faithful, to be good examples, to lead by faith. This is what we commit to, do, to doing today. In Jesus' name, amen.